Hey guys, welcome back to the Mad Girls Club. It's your host, Michelle, but you can call me Millie. And sitting across from me, we have Miss Jessica Tafoya, also known as Jake the Great on social media. She is best known for having one of the coolest, award-winning, also featured on Forbes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a beauty salon by the name of The Mod Lab, and I am so excited to have you here. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm going to tell you everything you yes, need to know. Yes, y'all heard that. She's about to tell us everything. Oh, I yeah. know, like, everybody has probably been waiting to, like, see you on something mm-hmm. to get, like, more tea on you of or course. whatever. And let me just say, I gave her a list of questions, and I gave her the option to, like, let me know if there's something she didn't want to talk about, and... She was, she didn't highlight anything. She wanted, she was like, I'm down to talk about whatever. So I thought that that was like really, really cool of you. I'm an open book. (laughs) I'm an open book. I have nothing to hide. So I'm like, ask away. I will answer it the best I have. I have, even my team will come to me and be like, Jake, I have a question. And Uh my always, my response is always, I have an answer. Uh So whatever I can tell you, even if I don't know it, I'm going to try to give you the best knowledge I have of that question. Love that, love that. Well, I guess let me start off by saying, how was your weekend? How was, (laughs) what's life like for you during the week? (laughs) I will tell you from the week to the weekend, it's pretty consistent. My weekends are usually way more chill than what people think they are. Mm -hmm. I have tried to find this I've tried to find this balance, especially coming into motherhood again. Mm-hmm. Um, Congrats, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Such a big gap in my children. But um, it's very, the dynamic is very different from my son. I want to know because I'm in your situation right now. I don't have a baby yet, like another one yet, but mm-hmm. my son is nine. Yeah. And I want to have another one soon, yeah. but that's already like a big gap. So tell me all about it. So... With that dynamic, you know, if you know anyone who knows me or who knew me before, right? I can't say who knows me because I have evolved and changed as a woman, right? Mm -hmm. As we should. As we should, right? So going into motherhood with my son, I felt like I was on this train that was kind of like building momentum, right? I had become a hairstylist. I went into hair school after I had him. Okay. I knew that I had to have some sort of direction. I was 19 years old when I had my son. I was a kid. I was a little girl. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But I was absolutely head over heels in love with his father. And I, you know, was like, this is a man. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with him. Mm-hmm. You know, let's go for it. Let's do it. We ended up meeting. Six months later, I was pregnant, right? So I felt like it was time to grow up. My son helped me grow up in a lot of different ways. And I felt that it was important for me to build a career very early on in life because I needed to make sure that he had some type of stable foundation because my parents worked their butt off. I don't know if I can cuss in here. Yes, yes, yeah. go ahead. We're all my for it. Pa- <laughs> my parents worked their ass off. Uh-huh. So because of all their sacrifice, we were very blessed. And I thought to myself, okay, well, they did it. I need to do it too. And uh-huh. I need to do it exactly how they did it. Maybe not on the same path, but I need to be successful. Uh-huh. And I need to be a business owner and I need to have a good solid foundation for my son. So I went into this like mommy train mode of just like work, 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 right? And I blinked and then my son was like 13 years old. And I look back on that and I felt so disappointed in myself 
and so disappointed in the route that I took in so many different ways, and we'll get into that later, mm-hmm. but I just felt like such a failure as a mother because I had taken his childhood and I was completely absent from that because I wanted to build something substantial for him when in reality, if we think to ourselves back as children, we go back to that moment when we were kids, when we felt like we really needed our parents. We didn't care about what kind of car our parents drove. Mm -hmm. We didn't care about if we had a big house. We didn't care about the money in their bank account. We cared about them Mm -hmm. and their time and being able to talk to them and relate to them and be a family, right? Mm -hmm. Have that whole commune, you know, feeling at home, right? Mm -hmm. Feeling secure. Because kids need security Mm -hmm. no matter what. And it doesn't matter how inconsistent your life is outside of your home, consistency builds very strong character and it builds a strong child and my son had very inconsistency when it it had a lot of inconsistency when it came to his mother Mm -hmm. and that was very difficult for me so when I after I had him for the years for years I told people I'm never having another children never child never having another child I'm done he is my only one. He is my only focus. I'm going to work, 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 and sacrifice all this time so that whenever my business is finally flourishing and I can take time away, I'll be them for him. I'll at least be there for him in his teens mm-hmm. and in high school, right? Which is so shitty. It's so shitty. That mind and that train of thought to me now that I see it, now that my daughter is one and, you know, one and a half, and it's so shitty. And I felt like such a failure. So when, lo and behold, I find out I'm pregnant, to me, I felt like this is my second chance, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is my second chance to be the mother that I couldn't be for, couldn't be for my son. And then when I found out it was a girl, oh, my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Let me tell you something about that moment. So we had a gender reveal at Topgolf, which was so cool. And we did this thing where it was like he hit the golf ball, and then the whole, uh, the whole like, top golf was in on it. So the lights would flicker. It was at night, so the lights were flickering blue and pink and blue and pink and blue and pink. And then it led up to it, and then bam, pink. That's so nice. And in my in my head, I wanted a girl. Uh-huh. In my heart, I was terrified. I know exactly what you mean. I was so terrified, and I remember. It went pink, and while my family was jumping, and he was jumping, we both wanted a girl. I was like, oh, my God, it's a girl. Within five to six minutes tops, I went into the booth, and I sat down, and I immediately came over, became overwhelmed with anxiety. The next day, I didn't leave my bed. I was in tears from morning to evening. What, what, what made you so scared about having a girl? I was terrified because the world became so much scarier, right? When you have a son, it's different. You're raising a man, you Mm -hmm. know, like you can take care of yourself and you're going to be a husband and you're going to be a protector. Whenever you bring a daughter into this world, everything around you just seems so fragile. And that thing that's growing inside of you seems so fragile in so many different ways that I have to protect you. Mm -hmm. I have to protect you from men. I have to protect you from boys. I have to protect you from going outside and playing at the park. I have to protect you from yourself even. And I saw myself in my womb, and I freaked out. Mm -hmm. I was like, I cannot 
have another me, right? I cannot build another me. I have to build better. I have to make her stronger. I have to make her more aware of her surroundings so that whatever happened to me as a child will never happen to her as a child, right? Mm -hmm. So I was so scared, and I remember my dad called me. I'm really close to my father. <laughs> he called me, and he was like, because we were on Zoom. We had all of our, all our family on mm -hmm. Zoom who couldn't be there. And uh, Rumi's daddy's from Nigeria, so he had all of his family in Nigeria on the Zoom, too. And he called me the next day, and he was like, congratulations. And he knew. He knew something was up because I was like, thanks, Dad. And he took a moment, and he was like, baby girl, what's wrong? And I just let it out. I was like, Dad, like, what if I mess this up? What if I ruin her life? What if, you know, like, how am I supposed to protect her? And he was like, Miha, I thought the same thing when you were born. You know, you figure it out as a parent. You're a mother. Mm -hmm. So in reality, when we take a step back, right, we can blame our parents for this. Oh, you're ruining my life. You mm -hmm. know, like I hate you so much. <laughs> but in reality, your mother is just a, was just a woman trying to figure it out. Yeah. Your father was just a man trying to figure it out. So I felt like I cannot fuck this up. Yeah. Because if I succeed in creating another me, like what exactly am I putting out into the world, right? Mm -hmm. Because everyone can look at me at f as face value, mm -hmm. right? They're like, oh, she's successful. She's got a great business mindset. She's very independent. She's X, Y, Z. But nobody knows the, 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 like the terror and the inconsistency and the um, insecurities that I dealt with inside throughout my entire childhood. You know, nobody knows those things. I've masked them very well. And I've mm -hmm. found a way to mask my insecurities very well by projecting them in my security. Like, oh, I'm very secure. You don't know. But inside, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm just a little girl. I'm trying to figure it out for myself, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where we become human, right? Because I'm, I'm not a robot. Right. And people see me as like this, like, business building fucking robot right <laughs> I'm like yes like building momentum and I'm going and I'm going but I'm just a girl and a mother and a child and a, this little a normal person, normal and person. I feelings so, <laughs> and I have feelings and I'm so you know but I was raised to be very tough mm -hmm. I was raised to you don't cry what's wrong with you like no you are a strong girl you snap out of it and so I found time to cry in the shower. I found time to cry in the car. I found time to cry when I was alone. Or I found time to cry when I was in the back and nobody was around me. Like, okay. Whew, yes. Ah, I know smiles. exactly like, what hey, you're everybody. talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I didn't allow myself to be human to the people around me, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't want that for my daughter. I wanted to build someone who felt okay with showing her emotions and being very intentional about showing those emotions and knowing what the hell she wanted in life. And knowing, I feel like when you know what you want in life, Michelle, you also know what you don't want in life. And you're okay with setting those boundaries for not only the people around you, but your husband and your partner and your parents and your siblings and your family and your employees. You are so takes nothing to set those boundaries for people. I never had boundaries. I was a yes man. I was whatever I can do to make the people happy around me. If I have to come in at 6 o'clock in the morning because that client needs me, I'm going to be there. If I need to go back to work because one of my girls is having an issue with a client, I'm going back. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. If 
I need to stay from morning up to morning to evening. If I need to, um, someone's going through something when in their relationship and they need one of my cars. Here, take my car. Whatever you need. Yes, yes, yes. You want more commission. Oh, yeah, take it. Mm. Not knowing that it was going to drain the profits from my business. I didn't care. I just wanted people happy. Well, that says a lot about you as a person, too. It does and it doesn't Mm. because it says a lot that I'm willing to do the most for other people. But you never get in return. Not even get in return. You can't give with the expectation of getting getting anything Mm -hmm. in return. That's Mm -hmm. one thing my parents always taught me. You're going to give $1,000 to somebody, never expect it Mm -hmm. to come back, right? I gave without hesitation because it filled my mind and it made me feel good about being able to give back to people so that I could avoid dealing with myself. Mm. I was able to carry everybody in the weight of everybody else's problems so that I didn't have to sit home in silence and think about my own issues. It was an act of avoidance. Is it selfless? Absolutely. But I was being selfish to myself. You know what I mean? I wasn't taking the time and building this mental peace that I had in my head to take care of me. Right? Because you are the most important person in your life. You are the most important person in your children's life. Like, our children flourish off of who we are, right? We build their future. I had posted something like this um, a while back, and I got so much, um, so much response on it because I had posted a picture of my baby girl. She was sleeping. And this was very shortly after the Uvalde thing happened with the kids. And I had posted, if I do everything wrong from here to sh- till she's 15, 16 years old, you guys could be looking at this precious human being as a monster later on. She could be taking a rifle to a school and just letting it out on all these children. You could call her the devil and you could call her all these names if I do everything wrong, right? We as parents don't understand what type of influence we have on our children's future. We are in control of what type of spouse they will be. We are in control of what type of parent they will be. We are in control of what type of employee or boss they will be. And if we don't take more action and move with more intent on raising good human beings Mm -hmm. then what good are we giving to the world right as a woman our room our womb is the fruit of the world every man and female doesn't matter who it is what it is them they he she (laughs) whatever comes from the womb of a woman we have so much power and we don't know that You know, a father can be in a child's life or it can't be in a child's life, but the mother is always the consistent being in that child's life. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. You know? So going back, because of course I squirrel the conversation. No, no, no. no. Going back to the dynamic, I felt like with my son, there was a sense of insecurity whenever I told him that I was pregnant. And... He was so happy. I, I love my, oh, I swear. If you're listening, <laughs> I love you so much, son. There was this sense of toughness with him that was like, that's awesome, mom. Like, that's great. Like, can you just make sure it's a boy, you know? Because <laughs> he's like, he has two. Of course. He has two little <laughs> sisters from, you know, from his father uh-huh. and his stepmother. And he was like, can you just make sure it's a boy? 
But there was also this light in him that I saw kind of just got dimmed for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he was like, damn, like, she's going to get my mom. And I didn't get my mom, you know. And that's so hard to swallow. That's such a hard pill to swallow. Because his dad, you know, is the, was the biggest, is still the biggest blessing. His dad stepped up and he became mom and dad. And then when his wife came into the picture, I respect her so much because she took over that position. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, hey, I'm building here. You know, I'm building, I'm trying to build something for him. So do I take care of him financially? Absolutely. But I was very absent in his life. Mm-hmm. And that is just, you know, like I said, I give his, I give his dad and his stepmom so much of the praise because they're such good people. And his dad was like, his dad took it as, listen, he's okay and he's taken care of, you know. So when I had my daughter, there was just this heavy weight and this heavy guilt Mm -hmm. that I carry. Because I'm like, man, like, I'm going to be here for her, but I couldn't have been here. I couldn't have been there for my son. So the last couple years has been me trying to rebuild that relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And we have just the best relationship. He tells me. He's very open with me. He treats me more like a friend than he does his mom. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I got to, you know, <laughs> remind him, like, hey, baby, don't forget I'm your mama, you know. Don't whoop your ass. Mm-hmm. You know, but we've built a really strong bond, and he's opened up to me a lot about personal things that he felt he couldn't with his father. And I feel like that's how we built our relationship. And we built it on music, too, because we're both big music lovers. So we've been able to build that relationship. But So it's never too late. It's never too late. Absolutely. It's never too late. But... He needed consistency, and his father, I knew that his father was the only one who could give him that consistency. And my parents, you know, I grew up in two different households, and my parents, my mom and my stepdad, were just work bees. Like, they were worker bees. Like, work, 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 work. Then, you know, the the fruits of your labor come later on in life. But as long as you work, 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 work. Do you feel like that's why you are the way you are? I feel like that was, yes, to an extent, because... And I don't want, if I say it in a bad way, it says like I'm blaming him for it. Absolutely not. I saw the life that they were building and mm-hmm. I saw them build their business up from nothing. And I saw what they had, right? Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between purpose and desire. And, well, actually, no, there's a very thin line between purpose and desire, but both have very difficult, very different results. So with my mom and my stepdad, I s- watched them struggle and sacrifice and work, 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 work to be able to build this beautiful business and thus start living a more comfortable life, right? And then like my dad and my stepmom didn't have that much growing up, but their home was very rich and loved, right? God was at our center. We never didn't have dinner together. My dad never didn't come home. Like they were never traveling often. Like we did Sunday, every Sunday was church. You know, my dad would come into the into the room and he would be you know, clapping his hands, get up, get up, get up, come on, time to get up, time to get ready for church. Mm -hmm. And I would always be like, oh, do I have to go to church? Like, can I stay home? And it's like, you don't have to go to church, you get to go to church, you know? And we had our routine, and it was very consistent, um, but the house was full in love. It was full of love, you know? And then I come over to my mom and my stepdad, and it's very worker bees, you know, polar opposites, polar opposites, you know, you sacrifice your time, you work your butt off and you live comfortably in the end. But they were always absent. Mm -hmm. They were traveling, they were here, they were there. So I felt through through my high school years, because I lived with them through my high school years. It was very, 
I was alone a lot, you know, but I saw what they had. And I'm like, okay, well, they worked their butt off, so I need to work my butt off to get there. And then shortly after high school is when I got pregnant with my son, and that was my mindset. I'm going to do what they did. Right. You know, I'm going to strive to meet this goal and meet these dreams so that my son has a strong foundation. And then, boop, you blink. And then my son's a teenager. And I'm like, oh, hold on. He's going to be 15 this year. I got a couple more years left with my son before he spreads his wings, you know, and that was just, it was a big rupture for me. This last year, year and a half for me was a very big pivot in my life as a mother, as a business owner, as a woman in so many ways. It was just me realizing that the things that I thought I wanted and the things I had worked so hard for, did they really matter? Did I really make a difference in people's lives? Did I really... You know, did I make a difference in my life? You know, no, I was working like a damn robot, girl. I was just So when I find out I'm pregnant with my daughter, I didn't understand it then. But I understand it now. I was given my daughter at not only a second chance to be a mother, but a second chance to be me, to be the me that I was always meant not the successful on Forbes business owner, you know, like mentor and mm. coach and like amazing hairstyles and blah, 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 because I am amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I was given a second chance by the wonderful man above to be exactly who I am meant to be. I was moving and shifting on a life of desire and now I'm finally at 34 years of age, took me 34 years, to realize that I'm now moving with purpose. And I am so fulfilled in every way that everything is different. Everything is different. Oh, my gosh. I had to lose so many people. I had to lose myself. I had to lose everything I thought I was supposed to be. I had to strip down I got rid of all the designer stuff, and I got rid of this, and I got rid of that, and stripped away everything I thought I was supposed to be. And I felt I was completely raw. And then I started to rebuild. And I started to rebuild, gaining momentum, pur like purposely driven. I was, I was being driven off purpose, right? So you go through this pivot in your life, and then I found my purpose, and I'm like, oh, this is what that feels like. Because I was a complete zombie. I was dormant for the past 30 years. I wasn't alive. I wasn't living. I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't complete. I wasn't even me. I was living off of what society was expected of me. I was living off of what my parents expected of me. I was living off of what social media labeled as successful. But was I really successful? I was on the 27th floor in a condo that I had always dreamed of, overlooking downtown, and I was alone. And I was empty. And I was lifeless. That's not success. That's not, that <laughs> people strive for to conquer and to, to hold power. Conquer yourself first. You can't, you will allow other outside sources to conquer you until you conquer yourself. When you conquer what's in here, and what's in here, there is nothing outside of these four walls that can conquer you. You know what I mean? Like, 
I finally feel like I've conquered here for me. And I have worked through my traumas. I have met my, you know, my problems and my issues and my insecurities, and I face them head on. But I couldn't do that with all of this, you know, all of these burdens and all carrying all of these things that I thought I was supposed to be. I had to strip myself down completely. And I had to become completely raw in order to face them head on. And that was scary. Well, I know we just met, but I just want to say I'm proud of you. Because not a lot, although you were like, I'm, you know, 34, you said, right? Mm-hmm. I'm 34, and I feel like you said that, like, dang, like, it took me forever. But honestly, like, you you figured it out, though. There's so many women who spend their whole life up until, you know, their death that they never, ever get to know, like, how to find themselves, what self-love means, like, how to live life for them and not other people, mm-hmm. You know, so although I just met you, I'm already so proud of, like, how far you've come. Thank you. Yeah, so, like, Jake before, we're going to kick her out the table. Who is this Jake now? This Jake is this, I'm like, how do I, ooh, how do I even explain myself now? Let's just say I am 1,000% alive. 1000% accepting of my accepting of my surroundings. I have conquered even though I'm still working on it, right? We're still healing, we're still growing. And you grow, you go through phases in life, right? You're not the same person. I'm not the same person I was a year ago. Mm-hmm. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago, right? But I feel like I am this hmm, What's the go- what's a good word for it? Alive. Alive. You're living your true self. I'm living my true self. And what's funny is that the moment I realized and the moment I started moving on that path of purpose, things started falling into my lap that never would have fallen before. Like, even my living situation. Like, Everything, it's all kind of just falling. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Right? So I'll give you an example. I um, am not with my daughter's father, mm-hmm. right? I don't put a lot of that part of my, bu- of my business on social media. Mm-hmm. But, hey, we're here. Screw it. Let's talk about it, right? <laughs> so he's an amazing man, amazing father in every aspect, right? Relationship didn't work out. That's okay. But... In 2020, October of 2020, I signed a contract with Grand Homes to build a two-story, five-bedroom, one-media room, four-bathroom, three-car garage home. I thought to myself, okay, my son's going to have a room, we're going to have kids, his family's going to come to visit, all these things, right? I'm building this imaginary, like, life in my head with this person, Mm -hmm. right? I'm building a life for us. When in reality, what was sad was that I was actually building a life for myself. I was building a life for us by myself, if that makes sense, right? So he was like, yeah, 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 I'm in, I'm in. But he was never really in, Mm -hmm. right? He was just kind of on the sidelines, just letting me do my thing Mm -hmm. and watching me do it. So sign the contract on this home. And then, lo and behold, I get pregnant. I'm like, oh there we go. Duh. See, I knew it was going to (laughs) happen, right? I'm going to get pregnant. 
and we're going to have this baby and everything's going to be great. We had already been together for a couple years. So I was like, okay, cool. This is, you know, what it's supposed to be. I already imagined the home. We're going to be in our house. God's going to be in our center. We're going to, you know, have dinner together and we're going to come home and everything's going to be perfect. And I'm going to be the perfect wife. It's going to be the perfect husband. And it's all going to work itself out, right? There's me being faithful. In reality, I was being delusional because he was doing everything in his power to prove to me that it was not what it was, girl. But lo and behold, I signed the contract. We put $20,000 down on this house. Then I have my daughter. I had a rupture in the middle of the pregnancy. Some things came out. And then my whole life just kind of started to unfold and unravel, basically. What I thought it was, it wasn't. And... Two months after I have my daughter, actually three months after I had my daughter, I'm single. And I was like, hold on a second. Wait, this isn't the life. Hold on. Like, wait, hold on. Let me do the math. Get on my calculator. (laughs) Wait a second. This isn't adding up. Something doesn't make sense here. This is not what I, wait, what? I'm very confused. This was the life that I wanted. This was the life I was working for. I was, gave him everything he wanted, cooked, cleaned, was a perfect girlfriend. I'm you know, good person, didn't treat him bad, was, you know, dressed up, give him everything he wanted. Like, wait a second, what? Fast forward to three months ago, I finally went to that house because they were finally finishing the build on it. It had taken forever. It had nothing to do with us. It was grand homes, inflation, blah, blah, blah. I hadn't gone to that house since it started being built because of what I was going through in here. It was too hard for me to face that the life that I thought I was supposed to have wasn't going to happen, and I was going to be moving into this home by myself. That was so hard for me. So throughout this entire process, I never visited the house. Builder calls me, hey, we got to do a walkthrough. We're almost done. We need to, like, make sure we have all the Cat 5s and electrical where it needs to be, blah, blah, blah. So I swallowed everything in me, and I went to the house. After the builder left, I stayed in that house, and I cried for, like, three hours. And when I mean three hours, I'm not joking. I literally was sitting on the wooden stairs crying my eyes out. Like, this is not how it's supposed to be. This was supposed to be my home Love was supposed to be in this house. God was supposed to be our center. We were supposed to have dinner together. We were supposed to wake up together, go to sleep together. This is not what happened, you know? After that release, I started to visit the house more, right? And then when I closed on that, what I realized shortly after that was that that house for me was my accountability. That house represented my accountability. That house represented my delusion. It represented my recklessness. It represented so much for me that the day I closed and I got the keys, I went and stayed in that house. And I didn't cry. And I didn't feel hurt. And I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel anything. I actually wrote a letter to the house. And... It said, I can tell you pretty much verbatim what it said. It said, this house, what I wanted for this house was love. Mm -hmm. 
I wanted God to be at the center of this home. I hope that a family fills this house with laughter. I hope there are children running up and down the stairs. I hope that you find God, and I hope God is at the center of this home, and I hope that you never forget that this house was built with love. I thought this house was supposed to be mine, but it was never mine. And I signed it, the owner of this home. And I hid it in the attic inside of the insulation. I hope the owners <laughs> don't know where it is. They're going to go look for it, right? And I hid it in the insulation, and that was my closure on that chapter of my life. And I decided to put it up on the market, and I decided to sell it. Because that house was never me. That house wasn't even the type of style of house I wanted. It wasn't, it literally represented nothing of me. It was a beautiful home, don't get me wrong. It's a gorgeous house, and I did good, right? <laughs> but that house was never supposed to be mine. That house never belonged to me, and God knew that. So that house ended up being an amazing investment because I signed and I bought it for market value in 2020, and I'm selling it for $1.1 million. Everything happens for a reason. Baby. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. You know that, that saying, let go and let God, right? Mm-hmm. How about let go and let God work? The surfer and the wave are not opposing forces. They are two within the same team. If you let the wave and the ocean do 99% of the work, you will go in the direction you are supposed to go. But we are but grains of sand trying to control the ocean. Girl, let me say that again. (laughs) We are a grain of sand trying to control the ocean. What? A whole big old ocean, girl. We're trying to control it. What? Mm -hmm. We have to let things be. Mm -hmm. We have to accept things for what they are. We have to let people that want to walk out walk out. We can't stand in front of the door and say, no, don't go. This is not what I was, this is not what's supposed to happen. This is not what was supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. The only thing that you have control over is how you react to certain situations and today. You have no control over what happened yesterday. Right now, you have no control over what happened yesterday. And you have no control over what happens tomorrow. You have control over the next 24 hours. And that's it. Not even what happens an hour from now. You have control over right now, girl. We're going to take this drink of water because we need hydration, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to move with intent because I want to move with intent. Not I'm going to do good things because good things will eventually happen to me. No. I'm going to do th- good things right now because it feels good, right? I'm going to move with good intentions because it makes my soul feel good and it feeds my soul. I'm going to do good for the people around me because it feeds my soul, because it makes me, me happy. I never got into the hair industry to be this powerful business owner. I got into the hair industry because I loved making women feel good. I loved it. I found that out in hair school. I had a client who cried in my chair, which it freaked me out because I was (laughs) like, hold on a second, what did I do wrong, Mm -hmm. right? She loved her hair so much that it brought her to tears. She was like, no one has ever, ever done my hair like this before. When she left, I sat on that chair, and I literally was like, this is why I'm here. This is my purpose. Because if she can see what I see, and I have control over that, how many other women 
can I influence? How many other women can I pull a mirror up to them and show you this is this is really what I see? I know you probably don't see this, but this is what I see. There was this Dove commercial that I saw, and it hit me so deep. And it was, I don't know if you've ever, if you remember that commercial, right? Who watches commercials now? Everyone's <laughs> streaming. And it was a FBI sketch artist mm. who you would give him the description. I think I know which one you're talking you remember about. remember that? Yeah. And they put two women, two people, yeah, I think it was two women. They put It was women. They put two women to look at each other for a little bit, and then one woman would describe how the other woman looked, and then that woman would describe how she looked. And when he showed her, when he would show them the, the two pictures next to each other, the picture that the other person explained to them looked so much more like her than the picture she when she explained herself. And that hit so deep because that's how we move. We're in the beauty industry. We are not in the industry of making people look and, f- look and feel ugly. We are behind every one runway. We are behind every Met Gala and Grammy red carpet. We are behind every trend, every Vogue magazine. Every We are behind everything. There is a team of people who bring out the beauty in these women, and then they splatter it on the cover of a magazine, and then the world is like, wow. Some of those models are the most insecure people you will ever meet. And it's like you can look at someone on social media and be like, oh, my Lord, you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But she can probably look at herself and be like, oh, I need to lose 10 pounds. Oh, my gosh, my stretch marks. I hate my earlobes. What's wrong with my bottom lip, right? We'll find anything wrong with us. Being behind the chair gives me an opportunity to show them the reflection that I see. And that's always been why I got into the industry. It's always been why I've moved. It moved me. It made me feel so good. Mm -hmm. And it fulfilled me in so many different ways because I see how women walk in sometimes, right? I read body language really well. So I see how they come in, and I've even taught my team how to read body language. Like, I see how they come in, and I also see how they leave. And a woman with confidence, baby, (laughs) we can rule the world. We can rule it in so many different ways. We've just conquered ourselves. We can look at ourselves in the mirror and be like, oh, my Lord. We are conquered, you know? And we walk out and we move differently and we walk differently and we go to Target. And I, I would mm-hmm. tell my girls, too, sometimes I'm like, what are you going to do today after they have this fabulous hair? And they're like, oh, I'm just going to go home. I'm like, girl, you better go buy Target. <laughs> you better go to the grocery store. You better mm-hmm. do something. Don't take this and just go home. Yeah. You know, and then like when I see them taking pictures and selfies, I'm like, you finally see what I see. <laughs> you know, and that's part of the beauty of being in this industry. Yeah. It's so beautiful to be here and to have that power and have that control over how someone else feels and bring out that beauty inside of them and show them hey this is what I see I want you to see it too right and a lot of people look at hairstylists like oh you just do hair you put some foils in you do this you do that no you know and don't get me wrong the the industry is flooded with people who saw hairstyling as like a trend and usually they're in it for the money Right, but you can tell the difference between the two. You can tell the difference between someone who's there for money and someone who's there with heart. I've been in the industry for 13 years. I've owned 
for 10 years. I've had so many people come and work for me and so many people leave too. I can tell you exactly who's coming in and moving for the money and who's coming in and moving with heart. I can see right through that. Just because I know what heart looks and feels like, I can see the difference between the two. And a big chunk of my team, big chunk, maybe a few that you know weren't moving in the right direction, but I would say 95% of the people that I hired and took under my wing and mentored were moving with heart. Some of them got strayed off of the path of desire, and hey, it happens. But they were moving with heart. And I made sure that they were moving with heart. And if they weren't, then they had to go. You know? So, what question? I don't even remember what you were asking. <laughs> no, girl. I'm, like, looking over here, scrolling, because I'm like, okay, she done answered all of these <laughs> by herself. But, no, I I think what you – everything you said is just so beautiful. Like, when I – I go to the salon, get my hair done, and, you know, I never think about, you know, the other side, like the other person, the person doing my hair, mm -hmm. you know, and why they're doing it. So, like, I know why I'm making this podcast, you know, to help other women and, you know, give them advice and let them know, like, they're not alone through their struggles and things mm -hmm. like that. But I guess I never looked at it the other way from – you know, just getting your hair done, which technically now is not just getting your hair done. No, <laughs> baby, I'm looking for something. We've had so many clients. I've had so many clients that came and sat in my chair who were just going through stuff. When we love to vent over there. We love to vent. <laughs> yeah, so when, when you're going through something and you feel like this need for change, right? I'll have clients that come in and they're like, we've been blonde for a couple of years and they're like, I want to chop it off and go dark. Mm -hmm. Girl, I will grab my stool, sit right in front of them like, what's going on? Are you okay? You know, like I had a client who I had blonde for a while, and I love her. She's still my client. Love her to death. She reached out to me out of nowhere. She was blonde. She was like, hey, I really want to go dark. It's time. Like, I just want to give myself a good trim, but I want to go dark. And I'm like, whoa, like you want to go dark? Mm -hmm. She didn't give me any details, nothing like that. She, this was shortly after COVID. And she came into my chair. She just looked different. She looked like this light was missing. Something was up. And I was like, got behind her, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? You okay? Because I knew something was wrong. And then she just, her husband passed away because mm. COVID. And he loved her hair dark, so she wanted her hair to be dark for his funeral. Mm. Girl, we sat down. I got, I got in that stool, and we sat down, and we cried for hours. You know, and it was just, you go through things as women, right? You lose, and you gain, and... All these things, like women, being a woman is not easy. For men that are listening, mm -hmm. being a woman is not easy, right? We got to walk in stilts, put our war paint on every day. Like, mm -hmm. it's not easy. I was telling my husband, we were went to the movies, and I'm like, who the hell invented these heels? Because my feet hurt. Okay, I'm like, take <laughs> off my shoes when no one's looking, you know? Uh -huh. And it's, it's not being easy being a woman. So when you go through these periods of loss, you know, the first thing you think of is, like, I got to change something. And it's like, go to the salon, and, you know, we're there. We're there with open arms. Leave, bring all your burdens and leave them here. Take your confidence and go. You know what I mean? You don't feel like um, when your clients come to you or clients in general go to, like, or maybe um, you don't feel like this, but other hairstylists might, where, like, we go and we, you know, vents. You, do you guys ever feel like, 
I'm not in the mood to listen to this right now. Like, I have my own stuff going on. No. No. And the reason being is because being behind the chair is our escape from reality, right? Mm -hmm. It's our escape from our own personal issues. When you're doing something you love, Mm -hmm. the outside world doesn't matter, right? When you're doing something with intent and something you truly love, what they say, um, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Mm That is the most honest quote, whoever came up with that. <laughs> it's true. Because when I go get behind the chair, I'm not carrying the burden of what happened outside that, those walls. I'm not carrying the burden of what happened on my way to work. I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. And being in, the, being in the service industry is a lot of selflessness. You know, we serve other people because it makes us feel good. So when that person leaves and I get in my car, then reality hits and I'm like, oh, you know, then I'll have my little good cry or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. You know what I mean? But it's never been like, don't tell me your information. Don't tell me how you feel. No. When you sit in your chair with your hairstylist, Mm -hmm. you trust them with your life. Right. If you trust them with your confidence and you trust them with that power, because, girl, one wrong cut (laughs) and there's, you know, you're going to feel horrible about yourself. Mm -hmm. So. When you trust somebody and you trust to, you know, vent and tell them what's going on in your life, it's, for me, it's it's never been, like, a weight that carries on with me whenever they leave. It's like, I have to carry all of these burdens. or You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. therapists, they just hear problems all right, day, right. right? We're here to solve problems. So I can have someone coming in feeling like she looks like Queen Fiona, mm-hmm. and she leaves looking like J-Lo. She leaves, not saying she looks like Fiona, I'm saying she can feel in her heart that she looks like that, but when she leaves, she feels like J-Lo. You know what I mean? So it's like, leave your burdens here, you take your confidence and go. Like, love that. go on, baby. Mm-hmm. Like, you go conquer the world. I'm sorry for what's been eating at you, but I hope you feel better by looking better, right? Mm-hmm. So it's never been hard. It's never been difficult to carry, you know, and it's like, it it doesn't, I feel like it doesn't even carry. It's like, we're the filter and then we just let it go. Right. (laughs) But I do sometimes I'll like make notes in their client profile. Like, Hey, this person was going through this Check up on them next time they come in. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at my client notes, it's funny. Like I make all kinds of notes, not only their formula, but I'm like, this person's, you know, birthday is next week or the next appointment is right before her birthday, bring her coffee or whatever, you know, cause I have a lot of clients, so it's hard for me to keep up, but it's like, you pick up where you left off. You know, when you build these relationships with people, especially your clients. I don't see my clients as clients. I see them as friends. Some of them have been with me since my suite. Girl, that's 10 years, 10 plus years. These people know me. They've been with me. I've been to them. They've been to me. Girl, we'd be like crying together. Like, Uh it's a beautiful thing to be able to connect with people. And when COVID happened and we became disconnected to everybody, that was very scary. And the reason being that is because we thrive off of connection. We are humans. That's in our human nature. We thrive off of connection from other people. So when you're stuck at home alone in your silence, ooh, baby, there you go having to deal with yourself. Yeah, That's scary. That's very scary. So whenever everything opened back up, we were all so desperate to connect again. And I didn't realize how much I needed my clients until COVID happened. And it wasn't just needing their money, honey. That had nothing to do with it. This was me needing my connection with people. Mm-hmm. And they didn't realize how much they needed me until we <laughs> <laughs> until COVID happened. Mm-hmm. That was very scary. Yeah, it was. I 
that's like a that was a whole movie situation that happened that I never thought would happen in real life. Girl, we lived it. That's crazy. You know that that's gonna be in the history books. Yes, our children's mm-hmm. children will read about it. Mm-hmm. About the great pandemic of 2020, yeah. like, and then the recession that came after. Whoa, mm-hmm. you know, like we are living, breathing history. Yeah, that's crazy. It is. I want to get a little bit into, you know, your salon, your business. You said that, you know, you started your journey to help women feel beautiful, not only inside but outside, and vice versa. At what point? during that whole aspect of you owning, you know, your little suite to, I don't know, moving up, like, at what point did you begin to own your business or open the mod lab? Like, why did that come in your head? Well, coming from a home of entrepreneurs, on my mom and stepdad's side, I come from a family of attorneys, Mm. like, girl, politician, you know, like, short heel, business suit, (laughs) like, that's just, you know, politicians, Mm -hmm. like, lawyers. I'm like, I don't want to be in an office. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not, you know, but I felt like I had a lot to live up to. If I was going to do something with my life and they were going to support me on it, I had to be successful at it. So when I got into the industry, I went in with the intention of being a business owner. Okay. Right? I went in with the intention of being successful at what I was doing. This wasn't like, oh, I just want to do hair and, you know, uh, no, I knew I had to be. So when you were a child and then, you know, having to decide what career path you wanted to take, you knew you wanted to do hair? No. Oh, no. Okay. No, I had no idea. Okay. What I knew I wanted to be somewhere in the beauty industry mm-hmm. because I took on the, I went to school for fashion design merchandising. Okay. Art Institute of Dallas. And... When I got pregnant with my son, I was interning, and I wasn't making any money. Mm-hmm. And when I got pregnant with my son, I got really scared. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I got to do something. So I went to go work for my parents' law firm, mm-hmm. and I was there part-time trying just to build up some type of financial stability for my son. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her, her, his daddy had a job and stuff, but I needed to make sure that I contributed as well. Mm-hmm. So... I went in with the intention of just kind of building at least a strong foundation and then deciding what I wanted to do with my career. Girl, I was 19. Who knows what they want to do with their life Mm -hmm. when they're 19? But I knew I had to do something. When you have a kid, there's this sense of responsibility that I can't just go through life blindsided. 19-year-olds should not have that kind of responsibility thrown on them. You should be figuring your life out through your 20s, and then your 30s is when everything kind of gets locked in, right? That makes the most sense. But when you become a mother, when you're in your teens, there comes, like I said, this sense of responsibility. I have to figure this out. So I'm working at the law firm. I hate it. It's a personal injury law firm. So you see a lot of death. You see a lot of injuries. You see a lot of... It was, man, it was depressing. And I give my family so much props for being tough throughout that because my stepdad and my sister are the litigation attorneys in that law firm. So they're the ones who deal with the death cases. And they saw death all day. Like, to see that on a daily basis, 
it mentally messes with you. I saw, I would see pictures of autopsy reports and pictures of car accidents where people were just mutilated. All for one mistake on a highway that caused these people to lose their life, that caused these families to lose their loved ones. That's hard. I can't handle that. Girl, I can't even see a kid. <laughs> I, it used to hurt me to get my take my son to get his shots. Mm-hmm. I would literally tell his dad, you stay in here, I'm, I'm walking out. Mm-hmm. That's how much it hurt me to see other people hurt. Mm-hmm. So I was in there, and I was so depressed. My supervisor, his name is, um, his name is Cecil. Well, his name was Cecil. And he was a family friend. He had been with us. You know, he was with my stepdad in law school. They were really close. We were families. And he ended up passing away suddenly while I was working there from a brain aneurysm. And it was hard for me to go back to work after that. It was hard because he would always tell me, he called me Shipbird. It was really funny. He was like, hey, Royal Shipbird. Why are you here? Like, I know you hate it. Why are you here? Like, do something with your life. Go do something. Go live. Go spread your wings. Like, I know you don't want to be here. I know why you're here, but I also know that you don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. So when he passed away, those conversations kept resonating with me. And I'm like, I got to do something. Mm -hmm. I'm not pursuing, you know, there's no real, real money in the fashion industry. Is there money? Yes, there's money in the fashion industry. But it takes years to build up the direction that I wanted to go. I didn't want to do merchandising. I didn't want to work for Neiman's and be a buyer. I wanted to design clothes. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge funnel. A lot will go in and barely anything will come out of that, mm-hmm. right? I didn't have that time. I wasn't 19 with no kids and had 10 years to do that. I was on a time limit. I had a son that was going to be here in six months. I didn't have a choice. So I was like, okay, well, I love the beauty industry, so what route should I go? Makeup. I like doing makeup. Maybe I can do makeup on, like, film or TV shows or something. Like, let me look into that. Mm-hmm. Went to go visit um, a hair school, Ogle. And I remember sitting down with the admissions counselor, and <laughs> she told me, can I ask you a question? And I was like, yeah. She's like, are you sure you want to be an esthetician? She's like, it's very, like, quiet and calm and, like, peaceful, getting a facial <laughs> or a wax or whatever. She was like, your, your vibe and your energy is very, like, outgoing. She goes, have you ever thought about being in the cosmetology? She's like, cosmetology would give you an opportunity to still do makeup but also play around with more. With the cosmetology license, you can do a lot. And I was like, mm, maybe. And she's like, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you a week in the cosmetology uh, in that program. If after one week you're like, it's not for you, Come back and see me. We'll switch you over to SD. And I was like, okay. Plus, cosmetology was 1,500 hours at the time. Now 1,000. It's 1,500 hours at the time. And um, and then esthetician was only like 700 hours, I think. Mm-hmm. So I was like, again, here, tick, tick, tick. Clock's ticking. Son's going to be here soon. I need to get this career started now. I was in this, like, panic mode, this rush. I sign up. We do a trial run. Within three days, I'm, like, knocking at her door. Wendy, <laughs> I want to be a cosmetologist. I don't want to do I don't want to do esthetician. She was like, I knew it. And what was funny is years later, after I opened up my business, I went to a hair show in Austin, and I ran into her. And I gave her the biggest hug, and she was like, honey, I am so proud of you. 
goes, I see what you're doing. I'm following your every step. I am so beyond proud of you. And I was like, it was you. Like, if you wouldn't have given me that direction, who knows where I would have been. Girl, I probably would have been in some med spa doing <laughs> facials all day, not really fully being happy. But hair made me happy. So I knew I had to do something. I knew I had to build, start building a career, and I was on a time crunch, right? Fell in love with the cosmetology industry, and I was like, screw it, I'm here. Let's do this. Got through school, went to my very first salon outside of school. And that salon was amazing. When I say amazing, it wasn't this Jose Hebert, fancy, you know, $300 balayage. This is where you were first working at? My first work, okay. my first shop out of okay. school. And it was a small mom and pop shop off of Irving Boulevard. And it was so, it reminded me of my dad's house. Very humble. And very loving and very giving. It was a very home environment. Did they do the most fancy stuff? No. We didn't charge an arm and a leg to do hair. You know, the owner was just, she had been doing hair for like 20, 30 years. And she just loved her people. Mm -hmm. She loved her people. There would be clients that came in that weren't even get their hair done. They would just come and kick it with us on a Friday or Saturday, <laughs> you know. And she had a lot of, like, elderly clients that when they would pass away family would come to her and be like listen you did her hair for all these years will you please do her hair for one last time and she did she did it was beautiful the connection and the relationships that she had with the people around her she welcomed in even me as if I was her own child coming into her home you know and she opened her door for me and I was so and I still am to this day so grateful what she showed me in the year only year that I was with her was if you can create a family dynamic within your business, it welcomes, it's very welcoming to the people who visit, right? They see that, they can feel it. I wanted to recreate that when I opened up the mod lab. I knew that for sure because I had visited other salons. I had used to get my hair done at Jose Hubert. I used to go to Visible Changes in, in uh, Dallas, which nobody knows that. If you know it, yes, okay. <laughs> I went to, uh, it was the Collin Creek Mall. I used uh. to get my hair done at Visible Changes by this amazing hairstylist named Bella. And I was just like, no, like, like, no, I want this type of dynamic with making it a little fancy. You know what I mean? This is the type of dynamic I want to build. So I took what I could. I learned. I spent my year there. And at the time, I was getting my hair cut. I used to get my hair cut with this, um, with a salon in, in the Bishop Arts District. And I was in love with that place. Like, that was my goal. Like, I'm going to work there one day. Like, I know it. I love this place. You walked in, and it was a vibe. There was graffiti on the walls. You know, one half was a barbershop. The other half was, uh, was salon chairs, and it was owned by a couple. Husband was a barber. Wife was a hairstylist. The, w the wife is the one who did my hair. And me and her had this awesome connection awesome connection I would come in they had the music blasting and it was like the kind of music I like girl was <laughs> like they would it would go from like Marvin Gaye to Billie Holiday to like Madonna it was like just it was such a vibe like that was the place people got their hair done and I'm like I really like it here but I'm not ready to work here yet right so I got out of school spent my year there and then I reached out to the owner and I'm like I really want to work here 
She was like, well, we don't do commission like your last shop, but we can do blueprints. I can, you know, make it cheaper and let you work up to it. And I was like, bet, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm there. I left with, I left my other salon, my first salon, with like a handful of clients. And when I, here we go, get my calculator, do my numbers. That's about right. I should make it. No. Nobody tells you how difficult it is to uproot from that type of home environment into a new place and expect everyone to follow you. Hell no, they didn't. So when I got to the the next salon, I lost almost every single one of my clients. And I was paying booth rent. Honey, booth rent, rain, sleet, sunshine, it don't matter. Rent is due. So I was going into my husband's pocket at the time, and he was helping me pay my booth rent because I didn't have any clients. But I'm going to tell you what I did do. I was there from sunup to sundown every day at that salon just waiting for someone to walk in. We did take walk-ins. Sun up to sundown. I started finding ways to make money within that. I was making jewelry. Mm-hmm. And I'd be at the shampoo bowl, like at the little table, making jewelry and stuff and selling that just to try to bring in some type of residual income. Mm-hmm. And I did everything I could. When I would get it, when a client would come in, I would give her the most the best experience. And that's how I started building clientele. Because I went from the ground up. You don't come out of school and go booth rent. You build a clientele first, and then you go booth Within rent. Within that time, was social media really present or no? No. No. Instagram had just become a thing. Okay. And I'm grateful because one of the hairstylists really put me on to, one of the hairstylists working there, she put me on Instagram. We're still great friends. And she was like, post pictures of what you do. People need to see. This is your portfolio. You're not walking around with a book saying, look at what I do. You don't got a website. Social media is free. Take advantage. So I started building up a social media presence there. Then when clients would come in, I was, I would freaking do the best consultation, the best service, everything I could to show them, hey, this is where you should be. And I slowly started building up clientele from there. I was there for two years. And after those two years, I felt like I had kind of hit a wall. And I had reached the ceiling, and I was like, okay, I feel like there's still more for me to do, but... I don't know which way to go. I was still really scared, really scared. We had hired an assistant um, for the salon, and one of the girls was like, hey, I'm about to open up my own shop, so I don't need your help. The owner wasn't around much. So I was like, come on, come in with me. You be my assistant. And I was working a lot, and she was there. She had, a, she had that hustle mentality like I had that hustle mentality. And she had a really good aura and really good energy. And when I finally decided to leave, I had a talk with her first, and I said, hey, these are my plans. This is what I'm doing. You are so free to come with me if you want, but you're also free to stay here. I would totally understand. And girl, she cut me off mid-sentence. She's like, I'm going with you. (laughs) And I was like, okay, baby, let's do this. Let's go. Mm -hmm. When I opened up the salon, when I opened up the suite, because that's where I started on Winnetka, when I opened up the suite, she was there with me by my side. And she was with me for nine and a half years. She stayed with me through all of that. She was my right-hand man. It was a beautiful thing that we had, absolutely beautiful. And it was cool. Like, when I opened up the suite, it was just me and her. We were just trying to figure things out, see where, you know, see where it went. I was just like, hey, like, I just want a cool place that's my own to do hair. Was the, so this is when you opened up your own. 
um, beauty salon. Yes. Was it named the Mod Lab? Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. My logo was very different. Um, I had a, a whole wall of vinyls. And it was just different. It was different. But it was mine. You know, it was mine. And it was a good feeling. It really was. But it was very scary. I had no idea what I was doing. I don't have a business degree. I don't have an accounting degree. <laughs> I was just a hairstylist. That's it. I had no idea how to run a business. How did you figure it out? Like, know what to do? Trial and error. Trial and error. I would do something. It didn't work out. Went this route. Do this. Didn't work out. Went that route. And I opened the salon. I opened the suite. And then we started to get kind of busy. So it was a suite at first. This was a suite at okay, first. Okay, okay. We were in that suite for one year. We had hired two people. When I opened up that salon, I had maybe like $4,000 to open it. Painted everything myself. The chairs were hand-me-downs from a friend who had a barbershop that was a, a salon slash barbershop he was converting into just a barbershop, so he was getting rid of his salon equipment. So those were donated. The couch that I had in there came from Goodwill. Like, girl, I did the best with what I could. I didn't have much opening. Like, for anyone listening that's you know wants to open up a business or anything like that, like you don't have to come in with fifty, sixty thousand dollars worth of capital. Mm -hmm. You can build something beautiful, right? Just start from the beginning, see what you got, plan it out the right way, you know, go that route. I had four thousand dollars to open up this salon. I didn't have much, but we made it work, right? I knew that the money would come once we start taking in clientele and start building. But just like any other business, you leave one salon, you go into a suite, you lose clientele. So I did still lose some clients, but for the most part, a lot of my clientele came with me. It was a little different this time around. We were there for one year mm -hmm. before we didn't fit anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, it's time to start looking for a storefront. That's when I finally decided, okay, now I need an investor. There's no way I'm going to be able to open up a salon by myself not a storefront. Yeah. At that point, I needed to ask for help. A closed mouth, don't get fed. Don't be too prideful to ask for help. The only people I could see asking me asking for help was my parents. So I sat down with my mom and my stepdad. I said, okay, we've been in, I've been doing this for a year. We don't fit anymore. I really want to open up another business and I want to open up a storefront. So Looked at the numbers. They, they, they treated this like it was a business transaction. They didn't treat it like I was their daughter. And that's why I very, like, I really appreciate my parents. And I really appreciate my family because they've never treated it like, oh, I'm going to give you this just because you're our kid. No. We're going to invest in you. And when I mean invest means I want my money back. This ain't, oh, just because we got money, we out here giving it to anybody. No. We worked our asses off. It wasn't handed to us, so we ain't going to hand it to you. And I think one of your questions, too, was yes. that, you know, mm -hmm. that was kind of brushing up on that, that, you know, that answer was they people on the outside will look at my parents and look at my mother and see what, you know, they have and assume that us as kids were kind of spoon fed on a silver platter. Absolutely not. If anything, we were pushed to work harder than they did because of their trial and error. So we were forced to figure it out. Mm -hmm just enough until we couldn't anymore, and that's when we ask, right? So am I absolutely 1,000% over the, over the hill grateful for my parents and their sacrifice? Absolutely. 
Because if they wouldn't have sacrificed all that time away from us, I wouldn't have been able to come, hey, come to them and be like, hey, this is my business plan. These are my projections. This is what I'm looking at for the future. Are you willing to invest in me? An investor would have looked at that and been like, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give you this much with this much interest. Nope. He was like, okay, I'm going to give you this much. I do want a little bit of interest back, but we'll figure it out. Okay, cool. We put everything down in writing. Like I said, it was always held as a business transaction. And thus came the Mod Lab off of Davis Street. Our very first storefront. I want to add a little bit on, you know, your parents being able to invest in you. I think the reason why I asked wanted to ask you that question is because I feel like a lot of people are like, she's lucky or, you know, I don't have parents like that, so I don't have that opportunity. You know, I think, like, a lot of people believe that, you know, like, how do I say? Like, just because my parents are well-off does not mean that I am well-off because mm-hmm. <laughs> That money is their money, oh, yeah. not my money. Oh, yeah. Yes, I have maybe a little bit more opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I, I think it also depends on, like, the parent it's themselves, like, yeah. the way you raise your child. Absolutely. Because, like, there's wealthy parents that just give, 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 and then these kids turn into these spoiled brats, you entitled. know. Entitled. Mm-hmm. Don't understand the value of a dollar mm-hmm. versus someone, a parent, like your parents, where they're like, yes, I have money, but you're going to understand like how I got this and you're going to value this money because I worked hard for it um you you know I'm I'm allowing you to have this but just for the moment like they didn't just give it to you Mm -hmm. and just like let you go on about your day and if your business was successful or not then you know that's just on them you know so I think a lot of people just are so negative and just like you know just think the worst like oh well she just had it you know, she just had the money because her parents, Mm -hmm. when in reality, it's like, no, like I had to pay them back one, two, like they, I'm not a spoiled Brad. My parents were good parents to allow me to understand like that they worked hard for this. Mm -hmm. And I understand how much $1 is because there's kids out there that don't have that dollar. Nope. You know, so thanks for clarifying that, too. I oh, wanted yeah. to bring that in, too, because yeah. I I don't know who's listening, but I there might be that one person's listening, rolling their eyes. And I'm, <laughs> uh-uh, uh-uh, let me cut it there. Let me let me talk about this a, a little bit more. Well, I'll tell you what. One thing that I've learned is I have just as much opportunity as the person that's on the corner asking for money. And I know that doesn't really make sense, but let me explain. This person, people outside don't realize you you can also become successful not on the backs of your parents, Mm -hmm. right? Just because your parents did it or, you know, just because your parents did it, oh, you're going to do it too. No, I've seen very wealthy parents, like you said, make very unsuccessful children, right? It happens. But if you don't have parents... You sure as hell have the government. You have Uncle Sam. You have SBA. You have so many resources out there. And then if anyone's listening to this and you're a Latina woman or a Latina man or if you're a person of color, you have even more opportunity than some people have. But you have to get out there and do your research. Mm -hmm. Just because I have parents who sacrificed their life to, you know, build a strong foundation for us doesn't mean that because your sa- your parents didn't sacrifice 
you know, that you don't have the same opportunity that I have. There are investors out there. There are people, which goes back to me saying a closed mouth does not get fed. If you are too prideful to ask for help, you will stay exactly where you're at. But it's the people who are willing to do the work, to be dedicated to it, and willing to do the research to find out what's out there, honey, you will have so much opportunity. Take advantage of the SBA, the Small Business Administration. There are so many grants and loans, investors who are willing to put money into great ideas. My parents are also, not only are they, you know, attorneys, but they are also investors. My stepdad has so many people that will come to him, and he's invested in so many different companies, you know, that have become successful. Some haven't become successful. Hey, that's what happens. But there are people out there who are willing to help open up your damn mouth and ask for help. You're not, you're going to stay exactly where you're at until you ask for help. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you're in a suite and you really want a storefront, you really want this, but you're too prideful to ask for it, you will stay in that suite. You know what I mean? It took a lot of courage for me to ask my parents. And then when they gave me the opportunity, I felt like I had so much to carry. I had a lot to live up to. I have a sister who graduated at the top of her class in law school. My brother, who's an attorney. My other brother, who's this Michelin chef. Like, I had to live up to a lot. People don't think that I had the pressure. Oh, I'm a hairstylist? Wow. That's so cool. Like, no. People look at that and be like, wow, you have two attorneys, a Michelin chef, and a hairstylist. I had a lot to live up to. So I had to work even harder to get there, to make sure I could prove to the people around me that I was successful, which in reality, now that I see it, right, because I'm woke, whatever, right? <laughs> so now that I see it, they just wanted me to be happy. They didn't need me to have all this. They didn't need me to have multiple businesses and, you know, all these things. They just wanted me to be happy. And as a parent, that's all you want for your child. I don't need my son to be an NFL player. I don't need my daughter to be whatever it is. I just want her to be happy. And if she moves and whatever she does she loves, she will be successful. If my, don if my son moves and does what he loves, he will be successful. And as long as he's happy, I'm happy. He doesn't need to have, you know, multiple houses and this and all this money in his bank account to be happy. You don't need that to be happy. That's moving with desire, and desire is very short-lived. If there's this BMW that you have your eye on and you love that BMW so much, you're like, oh, I would do anything to have that BMW. And then you get that BMW. And then in two years, another BMW comes out and you're like, oh, my God, I have to have that. Then what happens? You don't even appreciate what you have mm -hmm. and what you worked for. You want the next big thing. It's, a, it's an empty cup. Yeah. And you're always, like, thirsty for more and thirsty for more. Will you ever be satisfied? Mm -hmm. Will you ever be content and happy with what you have? No, I had to lose it all. I had it all. Oh, baby, I had it all. But I had to lose it to finally really, really appreciate in what it wasn't for me, what I thought it was supposed to be, right? So going back to the whole investment, it was like, hey, we're going to give you this much to open up your business, which now that I think about it, it really wasn't that much, but I made it work, right? And... I go and I open up this business, right? And I and I moved to, like, even as I hired, I always hired. The one thing that people, not a lot of people know, but I, I think I put that on my last post was, a lot of people don't know this, but I never hired established stylists. I wanted my girls right out of school because they were moldable. 
because I wanted them to know things. I wanted them to learn. And when you come right out of school, oh my gosh, you are a sponge. You're going to take all of my information. You are, you're going to absorb it. And I wanted to, I basically wanted to multiply myself, right? Were I wanted you not scared that they would mess up because they were so new. No, 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 no. Not because I hired them to get them on the floor. Oh. I hired them as apprentices. Oh, okay. So basically, whenever they came out of school, I invested in them first, and then I got my return investment after. Mm. Does that make sense? Okay. So I hired them as an assistant, and I paid them to learn. Mm. Right? Unheard of, isn't it? Right? I, I'm going to pay you, but I want you. All I want from you is just to learn and absorb everything I have to offer. And then after a year, you're going to start on the floor. You're going to start making money, and then I get my return on my investment. Gotcha. Right? So everyone's like, oh, what's the secret? What's the secret recipe? That's the secret recipe. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people and a lot of hairstylists and business owners are afraid to do that because they're like, well, I'm going to take this person in. I'm going to pay them, teach them everything they know. What if they leave? Well, then they leave. I've had people did. I've had people do that, come in, learn off of me, and then be like, all right, I'm out, going to go do my own thing. And you don't give them contracts or anything like that? No, no contracts. Never had contracts down. If they're meant to go, they're meant to go. If they're meant to stay, they're meant to stay. And I had a really high retention rate with my team because of it. I didn't need you to sign a contract to tell me you were going to stay. If you felt it was your time to go, you go. As a business owner, it's hard for people to understand. That's one of the most important parts of being a business owner. You are the stepping stone for people's future. Welcoming people in, knowing that they're going to leave one day. Don't you want that for your team? I hate how I left my last salon because I felt like she was bitter about me leaving. She didn't want me to spread my wings and grow. Girl, that's our job, especially when I'm bringing, in, bringing them in as little birdies I and little chickies. I think that has to do with jealousy, envious, not wanting someone to be better than you. That part, mm -hmm. right? So <laughs> I've always known that from the very beginning, and every person that has came – and sat down with me and gave me their two weeks notice. I've always made them understand that. I am your stepping stone, honey. I am not your end goal. I hope that you've learned what you could. I hope that you took what you could from me. And I hope that you spread your wings and you fly, right? Because if you fly and you succeed, that means I did something right. Business owners have a really hard time understanding that part. You will welcome them in and they will leave just as quick. That's okay. That's part of being a business owner, especially in the salon industry. Don't you want your team to be successful and happy and go out and live and figure it out? When I closed the Oak Cliff location, that was probably the hardest for me because I didn't want to close. This wasn't something I wanted to Everybody do, Everybody wants to know why you closed. I know. <laughs> I didn't want to close that salon. I had to close that salon. But what I didn't realize then was this was their slingshot to finally go out and spread their wings. If I wouldn't have closed, they would have stayed because they were very comfortable there. And you're not going to grow in your comfortability. You will never grow in your comfortability. You have to become uncomfortable to grow, right? Why does it hurt to go to the gym every day? Why is it dreadful to wake up to go do your run or your meditation? Like, oh, I don't want to get up. I want to stay in bed, right? Because you're growing, and you're pushing forward, and you're breaking those barriers, right? So I always knew that, and I, like I said, I didn't always know. I knew that up until recently is when I realized that. Like, 
I had to for them to finally grow. Because some of the people that were there had been with me, like, you know, my assistant when I first opened, she had been with me for nine plus years. She was part of our founding fathers and how we built the salon. I'll never take credit. I didn't do this by myself. I did it with the team, right? It takes a village to build something beautiful. It takes a village. And if I wouldn't have closed, she never would have gotten the courage to go out and spread her wings. None of them would have. So in reality, it's like as much as it hurt me doing and as much as it hurt me saying goodbye, it also filled my heart knowing that they were finally going out and spreading their wings. Now, what was the reason for closing? I'm like, here we go again, right? The reason for closing was, one, I'm a hairstylist. Two, I didn't have an accounting degree or a business degree. I had no idea what I was doing, right? A lot of trial and error. We went through a pivot right before I ended up going on maternity leave, okay? We were commission-based, and in commission... Client comes in, sits down, stylist does work, they check out, the stylist gets a percentage of that commission. The rest of it goes to the salon, the salon provides all the product that that, you know, that the stylist needs. So you didn't offer the booth rental, or you did? I didn't offer booth rental. Oh, okay. Whenever I opened up Arlington, when I decided to open up that third location, I opened it up with the intention of having booth rent there. It's a huge building. It's not Oak Cliff, that's 1,200 square feet. This is a 7,000 square foot warehouse. It was going to fit 30 chairs, 30 plus chairs. As much money as I was spending on product, I knew that we had to do booth rent in Arlington. We would eventually get there. But until then, everybody was on commission still. It worked for us. Everybody was succeeding. The salon was making money. I was making money finally after years. I was finally able to pay myself. You know, as a business owner, you'll understand you mm -hmm. put a lot into your business. You usually don't get much back out of it mm -hmm. until it starts to build momentum. So I started offering booth rent to my people in Arlington. And when we opened up Arlington, I made it very clear we will not have booth rent in Oak Cliff, only in Arlington. If you want to do booth rent, you'll have to transfer over to Arlington. If you want to do booth rent, you'll have to transfer to Arlington. So I started offering booth rent and I got, when I went to go to, when I went to the Oak Cliff Salon, I had one of the girls approach me and she was like, can I talk to you for a minute? I was like, what's up? This was maybe a couple months before I went on maternity leave. And she was like, would you be willing to offer booth rent here? And I was like, uh, she was like, well, I've been kind of thinking about maybe going out and doing my own thing. But if you'd be willing to offer it here, I'll definitely stay. And I was like, okay, can I think about it, right? When you're a business owner and you see this income coming in, right, off of commission, when you do booth rent, you're like, can we survive? Can we do this, right? I'm going to tell you where I went wrong. I grabbed out my calculator like I always do. <laughs> Right, and I'm like, okay, if I do this, and this is what I charge for booth rent. Okay, I really don't want to lose this person. She's been with me for years. We've built up a really close relationship, but she's threatening to leave if I don't. Dick, 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 dick. Uh, yeah, it could work. Is this that yes woman again? <laughs> this is that yes woman. I'm gonna tell you what I did wrong. If I would have taken better care of the financing and had an accountant, 
I would have sat down with the accountant and she said, based off of the rise of inflation of what you're spending on product and your rise in rent and all that stuff, if you go booth rent, you are going to close. If I had someone tell me that, oh, baby, I would have been like, I'm sorry, we can't. But if you want to do booth rent, by all means, go to Arlington. And if she would have said, it's my time to go, I would have been like, I completely understand. I love you so much. I wish you the best. But what she did was start a trickle effect for everybody behind her. Then this person said they want to do booth rent. Then this person. And then eventually, I had half of the salon in Oak Cliff that wanted to do booth rent. I'm not going to lose half of my people. What does that say as me, for me as an owner? I have to give them what they want. I'm a couple months from having a child. I found out some really bad news about my baby daddy at the time. So I was carrying the weight of that trauma. Then across the street at the body lab, then they approach me. Can we do booth rent too? Um, okay. Get my calculator. Okay, well, as long as the bills get paid, I'm okay. So we change. We go hybrid. Half the salon's doing booth rent. Body lab's completely booth rent. I go on maternity leave. I come back, and salons, our salon starts going into the negative. We start losing money. I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. Why am I spending the same amount of money? And we are making a fraction of the cost. What is going on here? I freaked out when we went to the negative. And, of course, call parents. Please, I need your accountants. I need someone to look at the finances and see what's going on. I might have to close. My parents were like, no, you're not closing. Like, okay, what do we got to do? Got, a, got an accountant in. She sat there and she dissected, reconciliated everything. Everything. Took apart everything and looked at the business. And she was like, honey, I'm sorry. Oh, Cliff, if you do not close that, you will tank the other two. And I was like, excuse me? Like, uh-uh, you did not tell me I failed. The one person who sits here and praises, oh, no, don't fail. Like, have faith in your failures. See success in your fail. Smile through your failures. Actually was failing? Shit. I was fighting her. No. No. What do I have to do to keep it open? What do I have to do? Go back to commission? How do you tell somebody, here's all your money. I know you see all this money coming in, but I need that back. It's the only way we're going to survive. I found this a week after Christmas. Keep in mind, I'm two months. I'm a month postpartum. One month, two months, I'm sorry, two months postpartum, right? Going through the relationship, like, you know, being the human side of me is like, wait a second, wait a second, what's going on, right? So my business is doing this. I'm like, my relationship is doing this, like motherhood, all of things, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, like, what do I have? No, there has to be another way. I'm not going to take that from them. Like, they work their ass off. They deserve booth rent. No, I'm not going to take that from them. She was like, I'm sorry. So I ended up having the talk with them in January. And what's funny is because whenever we closed, I ended up getting a screenshot of someone's post of someone that had left, and she was, like, putting it out there. Like, I kicked them out. They had nowhere to go. And I was like, wait a second, what? Like, hold on, hold on, hold on. So January, I have this talk with my team, and I'm like, listen, we have to close it, Cliff. I am 
so beyond sorry. But I shouldn't have given you guys this rent. It tanked us, and we're not surviving. You have to close. And it was just, like, the worst conversation you could ever have. You know, like, you are the captain of this ship. You are supposed to lead your team into victory, and you failed? What's wrong with you? You know, not only was I beating myself up, but the shit that I heard within those six months that we were open of things that were being said was like the whiplash, like how dare you fail us, how dare you. It was like a whiplash, and it hurt every single whip. I was like, oh, my God, like I am a bad person. I am a bad person. I'm the worst person. How could I do this to them? How could I get pregnant? How could I have a baby? What's wrong with me? I got distracted by a man. I got distracted by my own personal life. Like, how could I be human? I'm supposed to be this robot. What the fuck? <laughs> my God, it was just like whiplash after whiplash, the shit that I would hear. Oh, oh, she's got a downtown apartment, but we can't get napkins? She forgot about us. She neglected us. She No, she has. she loves Arlington more than us. It was like... Girl, I felt like I was, like, slowly just the rope was getting tighter and tighter and tighter, and I could not understand what happened. So you know what I offered him in that meeting? You guys really want to stay together. We have to go back to commission. Her crickets. No. What is the big difference between the two? The difference between the two is every client that comes in, you take that 100%. Everything that they bring in, that's your money, right? You check them out on your own phone, your own POS system, but you have to provide all of your product. Mm -hmm. The salon provides the salon, you know, the chair, the, you know, uh, towels, capes, stuff like that. So basically I'm giving you a rental space. You're renting out your chair and you basically take all the money. Commission, you just come in with yourself and your round brushes and clips and scissors I provide everything else, but you pay the salon, right? A percentage of whatever your client so brings in. So they just wanted 100%. They wanted 100%. Gotcha. Which, hey, who doesn't, mm-hmm. right? Who doesn't? Like, the what happened, what I realized was COVID changed a lot, right? But it also changed the economic landscape of the beauty industry. Mm-hmm. People panicked because businesses got closed down. People lost jobs. So everybody is taking a look at every single cent, And they're in survival mode, right? So I've noticed that a lot of salons that were commissioned either started transitioning to booth rent or started losing people because everybody was in panic mode. And everybody still to this day is in panic mode, right? I'm counting all of my money. Will you take this much? Well, not understanding that I'm not only providing the environment, I'm providing the space you work in, the electricity, the overhead, everything everything right the back bar all that stuff like I'm still providing everything you just have to come to work but it does cost you so what I did in 2018 was created what's called a salon curve commission curve basically the people who really worked their ass off could take 60% of what they made which is unheard of even other salon owners and business owners when I told them what I was what I the, what I gave to them what they had an opportunity to make they told me that's that's business suicide Jake you don't give your stylist 60%. What's wrong with you? In my head, I'm like, well, one, I don't need to make money off of them. As long as the bills are paid and I can pay myself, we're all winning, right? Mm-hmm. 
Never saw it that way. Always saw it as like, you do the work, you deserve, if you work really hard, you deserve to get your 60%. Now I realize that was financial suicide, right? And I didn't believe it because I'm a good person. I don't want anyone to believe it. Like, I'm taking care of my team. Screw y'all. So then when everything flipped, and like I said, we went booth rent, we just tanked. We tanked. We were making, you know, we were bringing in 20 grand a week to bringing in $5,000 a week. Ouch. Right? One salon was carrying this one. Arlington was carrying the weight of all of them. Like, this one was carrying that one. I was, like, sitting here in a whirlwind of just downward spiral, financial spiral. There was a moment that I only had this conversation with one other person, but, hey, we're being real, screw it. I got an eviction notice at my downtown apartment, and then I got an eviction notice at the salon. I had two opportunities to pay, and it still gives me, like, I'm getting kind of anxiety thinking about it because I'm like, <gasps> I, had, I had that on my plate of do I put my daughter out of her home or do I put my team out of their home? They were my family. I couldn't let them fail. And if I closed those doors, I was putting everybody out, right? What do you do? Why would anybody have to carry that burden of thinking, I'm going to put me and my daughter out on the street, but they're going to be okay, right? That was so hard, and I ended up paying my rent at my apartment because of that. That was a really hard decision. I was like, shit. And I tried to finesse the situation, you know, and we ended up having to close two weeks earlier. So when I told my team in January we were closing, I told them we were going to close in June. I think it was May that I had one of the stylists come to me and say, hey, where we want to move isn't going to be open until July. Can you push it to July? If it was up to my accountant, we would have closed in January. She's like, you need to close now. And I'm like, no, we need to give them at least six months to figure out what to do. I can't do this today. Knowing that those six months were going to be really hard financially, really hard. And I had to make the decision to pay my rent at my apartment. And I took that decision because I was thinking about my daughter. And because of that decision, we had to move out two weeks before our scheduled date. And that uprooted every relationship that I had with the girls that were there. It was like, you fucking monster. How dare you put us out of our home? How dare you close the doors on us? How dare you be so irresponsible? Oh, honey, there were bills coming in. I knew what bills were due, but there was no money to pay them. That was hard to be with a new baby, alone, single, losing your businesses, no money to pay things, and the whole, like, all the spotlight is just on you, and everything you're doing is wrong. Everything you're doing is wrong. 
it was like, what in the fuck happened? Hold on, God. I've never moved with ill intent. I've never taken from my team. I've never taken from their pockets. I've never stole from anybody. I've always wanted everybody to win around me. Hold on. I followed your manual on how to be a good person, and you do this to me? I still fail? What the hell is going on? And I actually started to believe that I was a bad person. I started to believe that, like, I was undeserving of anything good. I deserve to go through what I went through. I deserve to lose all those people. I deserve to lose those businesses. I deserve. You didn't work hard enough. You thought you worked hard morning to evening. Why didn't you live there? Why didn't you sleep in the break room, Jake? Why did you buy a new Range Rover, Jake? Why did you get that stupid apartment, Jake? I actually would talk to myself like that. That's detrimental. That's detrimental. And I went into such a dark space that, girl, I don't even want to tell you what my thought process was. I was in the deepest depths of my shit. And it was hard, girl. And I was praying and crying daily, like, someone please just call me and ask me if I'm okay. Like, not one time. No one? No one. Not one time. Did someone reach out and say, Jake, is there anything I can do to help? What do you need? It was me, me. You took this from us. How dare you, monster. Whiplash. Ka, ka, ka. How, I know this is a little off topic, but um, if they're listening to this and they maybe now realize they fucked up, how do you, how, how would you feel about it now? Maybe... I take the blame for what happened, one thousand percent. They but that still doesn't make it right for them. Uh, let me tell you something. The people who you know who you are, if you're listening to this, it moves people off of hurt. This isn't hate because they know who I am and I know who they are. Some of these people I had, like, like they were my babies. They're still my babies. It's all love. There ain't no hate here. But it's the pain. It's the neglect that they felt, right? It's the, what's the word? I let my team down because I was irresponsible financially because I started to move with desire. So when I say I take the blame, I say I take the blame, and I take the blame for their hurt. I take the blame for their pain, right? Did it hurt me? Yes, but I was the captain. They instilled their trust into me. Their livelihood was on my plate, and I'm sorry for that. I should have done better as far as being transparent of what was really going on, but I thought I could figure it out by myself. Right? Did the whiplashes hurt? Yes, but the whiplashes had to happen because that every whiplash was my reality. Like, you are not, you can't figure this out on your own. You can't do it by yourself. You know what I mean? Like, you are human. It's okay not to be a robot. It's okay not to move 
like a robot and be able to like, yes, man, yes, man, have boundaries. Like when I tell you I went through a rupture, it made me realize a lot of things that I was doing wrong. And one of those things was being the yes man. One of those things was giving them everything that they asked for because I wasn't thinking of the business. I wasn't thinking of what would, what would happen to the business because of it. I almost risked losing everything because of it. And sometimes it means you have to say no. Even if you've built a relationship and a family with people, you have to say no. You have to have boundaries. And if I would have said no, I guarantee you, I might have lost that one person, but this, all this shit wouldn't have happened, right? This was me not having any control, not even having any control. This was me just wanting to make other people happy. You can't make everybody happy. I can't make every client that sits in my chair happy. Sometimes you have to say no in order for you to grow. If I was encompassing the entire business, not just trying to please one person or five people or ten people, it would have gone a different route. But I don't blame them. They were the victims because it was my fault. They just worked there. I also want to remind you that I feel like listening to you that you are blaming yourself so much, which I understand why you are, but I also want you to understand that. And I, everybody, everybody too, that, you know, the whole thing is we can make mistakes, Mm -hmm. you know, and yes, you made a mistake, but Mm -hmm. we're all human. You're going to move forward. You're going to learn from it. Mm -hmm. You're going to be better because of it. Absolutely. You know, but a big part of growth internally is accepting humility. You don't think it's embarrassing for me to say this. It's absolutely embarrassing. But I'm okay with saying I failed. I'm okay with saying I made a mistake, right? I'm 1,000% okay with taking the blame for what happened because it was my fault, right? Did I deserve how it was handled? Absolutely not. I didn't deserve how it was handled after. But what happened after was never, it never came from a place of hurt. Never came, I mean, I'm sorry, it never came from a place of hate. It came from a place of hurt because of what I caused, because of my irresponsible decisions in business, right? But that's the part of growing as an individual is saying I failed, saying it's my fault, and saying and, and knowing that it's okay. Baby, it's okay to fail. It's okay to fall flat on your ass. You don't got to keep that to yourself. Tell the world. Because if five women listening to this are in the place that I was in, that can give them some glimmer of hope that you can fail and you can lose what you felt like everything and still get back up after that and see the beauty in it. I don't see my life or I don't see what happened as what I lost. I see what I had. I am so grateful for what I had. I'm so grateful for the people I had. I'm so grateful for the relationships I built. I'm so grateful for everybody in there, right? I'm grateful for the clients that were with me. I'm grateful for the faces that I met. I'm grateful for the experience, right? 
who gets to say they had that at 33 years old? Not a lot of people. I'm very beyond grateful for what God gave me, but be careful what you ask for, right? Because I got everything I asked for, and I also lost it all. I didn't lose all of it. I have something so much greater than that. I have confidence going forward. I have acceptance for what will be. I have control over my life and my I've conquered my inner child, and I have faith again that everything happened because I lost sight of my path, and it had to, I had to lose those things, and I had to lose those people, and I had to lose all of that for me to divert back onto my path of purpose because I have my purpose now. I know exactly what needs to happen today to move in the direction that I'm headed because mm -hmm. this is the path I was always meant to be down. Where I'm at right now, sitting across from you and having this conversation, was exactly what was supposed to happen. If those things didn't happen, me and you wouldn't have aligned. That is crazy. Isn't that crazy? Right? And to say five or ten people that are, you know, at least five or ten out of all the people who are going to listen to this, can learn something from my experience and not go that route and have better control of your finances and have better control over your business. And you can be a great hairstylist, but if you don't know every down to the cent of what you're making in your business or how you can be profitable, you will fail. Those things, right? Those things. I can tell you down to the cent of what we made yesterday. I can tell you who worked. I can tell you what we brought in. I can tell you what we spent to make it. I can look at my business on a piece of paper now and tell you exactly how we're going to be profitable and exactly how we're not. I wouldn't have gained that control and I wouldn't have gained that knowledge if I wouldn't have lost what I lost, right, if my life wouldn't have erupted. But that root, what I thought I was supposed to be, what I thought made me look successful, that was never success. Half of the people that are out there flaunting it on social media are just as lost as I was. They're just as empty as I was. Are you ever, is it ever going to be good enough for you? After you have that Ferrari, are you going to be happy? Or are you going home to an empty house? Or are you going home to a loveless house? I want to be rich in love and rich in God. I don't need to be rich in my pocket. That will come on its own as long as you move with purpose and not desire. You know what I mean? That's the phrase for this episode. Yeah. Move in purpose and not desire. Move in purpose and not desire, baby. That's... That's my motto for life because I moved with desire somewhere along the line of my path, right? Because I found my purpose the moment I saw that client cry. Somewhere along the line of opening up a business did I start to stray. And I started seeing money coming in and I saw people around me succeeding and I was so happy and everything was good. Started getting on social media more, building up a con, you know, seeing what social media saw as normal and successful. And I'm like, ooh, I want that always wanted that. I'm going to get that. Then I started to stray. People will move with desire all their lives and not understand that it's not purpose. Like purpose, like I told you before, purpose, it grows the more you lean into it. It encompasses the people around you. Mm -hmm. It's very selfless. Purpose is a bigger picture, a bigger destination, not a bigger house, 
not a bigger car or a nicer, more expensive car. Purpose is having an opportunity to reach more people, right? What got you to start? What got you to open up this business and start this? We are here right now, but can you imagine if you continue to move with purpose, where you will be five years from now? You see what I mean? Giving me a voice. You gave me a voice today, which I can give myself a little voice on social media here and there, but it's very short-lived. You're giving me a voice. You're giving women a platform to be honest and real and raw. Like, fuck the, fuck the social media bullshit. I'm raw. I got stretch marks. I'm this. I'm broken. I'm, you know, I'm all these things. I'm okay to say that. I'm okay to say all those things. And I'm okay to say that I failed. Because let me show you what comes after that failure. Growth. We can't wait to see it. Oof, baby. I'm going to be cheering for you. <laughs> I'm excited for what's to come. I'm excited for you. Mm-hmm. For everybody listening, let's give her a round of applause. <laughs> well, I just also want to say, you know, I can't wait to see what is going to happen to you and see you flourish. I'm sad that you had to go what you had to go through in order to be where you are now. But like you said, you wouldn't be where you're at now if it wasn't for that. And you wouldn't be sitting here talking about all this (laughs) if that didn't happen. You're such a strong woman. Like, I want to be just like you when I grow up. (laughs) You're amazing. You're so resilient. Like, I don't want to hear anyone say otherwise. (laughs) We have so much. We have learned so much from you. And I just want to thank you for coming here, spending your Friday. Today is Friday, guys. <laughs> she could be doing other more important things. Let me show you something. <laughs> I had a client cancel and I was like, block up that spot. I'm sorry, y'all. Yeah, so thank you so much for spending your time and to really, you honestly had me in tears. I was like, bitch, you better not fucking cry over here. I'm like, I should have makeup done. Shout out to BD. You know what I mean? But you, I, I know that you have moved so many people. I know that now people understand what happened, and I hope that, you know, all that is flowing around that is negative will stop. And I hope people realize that you're human, you're not a robot. You you make mistakes. As I think people just see you as, like, this, you know, like you said, it's, it's a successful, perfect person, and you make no errors. And in reality, like, we all do. Mm-hmm. And it's okay, you know, as messed up as the situation may be, like, it's okay. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored. (laughs) No, I'm honored. (laughs) I mean, I I honestly was manifesting you since season one. Like, I was like, I... Yeah, I would see your live sometimes and I would just be like, man, like, I really want to have this girl on here. And then I emailed you and like, you didn't email me back. (laughs) And I was like, man, she's too good for me. Like, (laughs) but you eventually like came through and you're super humble. You are not kind of, I guess, what I expected from you, as shallow as that may seem from me. Like, you just, it's out of habit for humans sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know? But I... But you only see what I've put out there, right? Yes, yes. You don't really know. Like, this gave us an opportunity to really connect. Mm -hmm. And I hope that now people are able to really see who you are besides, like, what you show 
on social media because like as we all say we put on social media what we want others to see you know but um again thank you so much for coming in like i can't wait to have you on again whenever you're you know (laughs) wherever it leads you god leads you wherever you lead yourself like i can't wait to see you there and then bring you back on here if you're well, let's check can. back let's check back in a year <laughs> yeah yeah right because a lot's gonna happen this a year. lot happens in a year yeah so a lot has happened a lot within has a year happened. yeah <laughs> even within this first like two months right yes, girl. so let's check back in a year because i got a lot of big plans this year we can't wait i keep it a secret don't spill it out we'll we'll catch up again in a year from today yeah. and i just can't wait thank you so much for coming oh, thank in thank you for having me thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode and hearing this amazing person if you are listening or if you are watching we are available on all social media streaming platforms you can also catch us up on youtube and please subscribe to the mad girls club we are a platform where we give advice to women if you need to on our dilemma segments which you can go to themadgirlsclub.com and submit whatever you're going through and then during our dilemma episodes we try our best to give you the best advice that we can share your social media yes. so i know they probably want to follow you too oh yes at jake the great underscore 88 don't laugh it's a long story but anyway it's been mine for a long time i can't change it anymore and of course follow the salon at the mod lab thank you guys so much for tuning in until next time have a great rest of your week bye, bye.